0: The Keith Major Show All the people know Straight from Hawaii you all you need for sure From news and local events for music and much more But the Keith Major Show We give you so much more Keith Major
1: Show What's up, what's up, what's up Everybody Welcome back to the Keith Major Show I want to thank you for tuning in took a little break. It was a busy holiday period, so I haven't had an episode in a while, but now I am back, and guess what? I am popular. It seems that there was a lot of interest in that last podcast episode that I did, Um, and now everybody wants to know who I am. Who is this guy? My LinkedIn profile is now up 117%. I'm getting friend requests and LinkedIn connect requests from all these people. I'm not really sure how to handle it, but uh, I am getting a lot of interest. There was a lot of great dialogue that came after that podcast episode, um, actually on the LinkedIn page, on Facebook, emails, uh, Twitter, like there was a lot of buzz. Going back and forth, uh, people who are still in uniform, even out of uniform, that wanted to continue to debate the issue. But what we did not have is what is the Marine Corps going to do about a few good white men? Haven't seen any official word or any interest from the United States Marine Corps itself. But we'll see as things kind of, you know, snowballs fall downhill and they get bigger. So. We'll see, but there is a diversity, inclusion, and equal opportunity in the Armed Forces strategic plan that was updated in June of 2019. Um, and it's calling for Department of Defense leaders to be held accountable. Um, yada, yada, yada. Same song and dance. I have, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But how was your Christmas holidays? Um, Christmas is my birthday. If you did not know, I turned the big 5-0, turned 50. I went to Vegas with some of my buddies and we we did it big. Um, if you're ever in Vegas, I highly recommend you staying at the Palazzo Hotel and Casino and Resort. It was absolutely fabulous. I loved it. Um, but a lot of people ask me, being a Christmas baby is not that great because your birthday always come second or third to all these other things because, you know, Christmas is kind of about something else that's important. So you kind of get lost in the shuffle. So it's not like your birthday is in August, not connected to any holiday. So you do what you can, but there's a lot of Merry Christmas and Happy Birthdays and it's like, but that's only one box though. I need two boxes. I'm robbed. But I had a great time nonetheless. So I encourage you if you go to Vegas, uh, check out the Top Golf, check out the Michael Jackson Cirque du Soleil. It was awesome. And then check out the Palazzo Hotel. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, did anybody break up for Christmas? Christmas is a, is a big time for engagements, but it's also a time for breakups because you know, Christmas is expensive, and then right after that, you got New Year's, and then the Valentine's Day, so a lot of times, people will break up right before Christmas in order to save money and avoid all that unnecessary gift-giving, so if you have any good, I broke up for Christmas stories, please let me know. Um, Next Christmas, if you need me to help you break up for a nominal fee, I, I, I'll, uh, I'll help you out. Yeah, Christmas and Valentine's Day, that's a single man's doing That's a big hole in a single man's pocket right there. Um, I DJ'd a Christmas party, actually, um, for some Air Force guys. They had a great time. Um, I think 25th ASOS is what they were. So I did a unit Christmas party. um, For, you know, some folks, this is their first Christmas away from home. Unique experience. And so most commands will have something big for Christmas, kind of, you know, to keep people connected and not get homesick and depressed. Uh, anybody do anything for New Year's I did it because somebody hit my truck on New Year's Eve in the parking lot at the grocery store I went to get laundry detergent and dryer sheets because I'm a homebody and I do things like laundry for New Year's because it's just to me it's way too crazy and the fireworks and the drunk people and anyway I got hit I'm sitting in the truck on my phone and I feel this nudge and then I looked and someone, it was, two, it was a pickup truck, one person driving, two people in the back. And one of the people in the back got was getting out of the back of the pickup truck, I guess to come see if I was okay. Um, and then she fell out of the pickup truck on the hood of my truck and then fell to the ground. And then I get out to check on them. And then I realize that they are all drunker than skunks. And I look at my watch and it's 4.30. In the afternoon 4 30 and they were totally wasted. I couldn't believe it. Um the damage to my truck was not a big deal, but my issue was: man, it's 4:30. If you're drunk at 4:30, what time did you start? And if you're drunk at 4:30, what condition are you gonna be in by midnight? So I called 911 just to say, hey, be on the lookout. These people are a little sauced. So if something happens later, at least I'll be able to say I at least tried to do my part. So I don't go out. But what I did do is I stayed home and finally got to watch Dolomite Is My Name by Eddie Murphy. Um, If you hadn't seen it, it's on Netflix. It's the story of... uh, how Rudy Ray Moore got started is Dolomite. I loved every single minute of it. It's absolutely amazing. And if you are a black exploitation movie fan, this is even better because this kind of gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how Rudy Ray Moore got started. Um, Wesley Snipes, believe it or not, he still got the chops. He still has it. And I thought by far he was the best in the movie and I thought he stole every scene. Now what's interesting to me is he was playing Derville Martin. Um, for you guys that are familiar with the story of Dolomite, Derville was Willie Green, the, the protagonist, the guy that took over the club while Dolomite was in jail. But Derville, in real life was a classically trained actor and then in the movie they kind of portray him as this like kind of snivelly guy. Um, and I thought Wesley did a, a an excellent job at that, but now I got to research Derville Martin to see if that was really his personality or if that was um, artistic license. But Wesley Snipes was absolutely great in this movie. So I encourage you to go see Dolomite if that's your thing. It was ridiculously funny and educational, but like Dolomite, there's always a lesson. So the lesson in Dolomite is that he realized he had been trying and trying and trying. Got told no. Got told no. Every time he got told no. But then he realized that he was the product. And I keep saying this about black folks in general. Dolomite realized, why am I trying to get other people to sell me when I can just sell me? I'll just be me and sell myself. And so that's what he did he started making the records he started selling albums out of his trunk of his car because the record stores wouldn't sell his records then they wouldn't distribute the movie and then uh, he went and found some guy and made this deal and did the movie on his own and then once he got big and people realized that he was popular and how much money he was making Then comes all the guys from the beginning that told them no. Now they want to be his friend. Now they want to do these deals. And that's the same thing we do. And we'll talk about this later in the show. So in 2020, do not let other people's limitations hold you back.
2: News, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it's the news national news, local news, finance news, sports, gossip, entertainment, all types of news, news you didn't even want to hear about news ladies and gentlemen keith major reads the news all right all right what do we have this week in the news national news same thing we always have impeachment so where are we in this never-ending saga so the democrats finally held the vote articles of impeachment so trump is the third president to be impeached There are two articles. The first article of impeachment accuses Trump of abusing his office by pressuring Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden and his other political rivals and withholding U.S. security aid. Um, And this was done during a White House meeting. The second article accuses him of obstructing the investigation into his misconduct by blocking witnesses and disobeying subpoenas. So now we're stuck at this looming Senate trial. Nancy Pelosi has not sent over the articles of impeachment, so she hasn't done it because old Mitch McConnell has not really been firm on what the rules for the trial are going to be. She wants Mitch to be clear and definite and Mitch is being a little waffly and ambiguous. He wants the right to be able to Change the rules of the trial as the trial goes along, and Nancy Pelosi is not going for that. She wants the rules to be clear up front, and they're gonna stick to them, and she expects him to stick to them. Chuck Schumer made it clear in a letter to the McConnell that he prefers a trial with witnesses and testimony and documents, kind of like they do in regular trials. Um, and he's talking about when he says witnesses, he's specifically talking about Mick Mulvaney, um, former National Security Advisor John John Bolton, senior advisor to the White House and Chief of Staff Robert Blair, um, and Michael Duffy, who runs uh, the Office of Management and Budget. So they have a list of people they want to see, but those people have been told you don't have to really answer to these subpoenas and so that's where we are um the white house is still planning its senate trial strategy i think the wild card and all this is trump himself surprise surprise trump actually wants a trial so in some strange twist of fate Trump and Nancy Pelosi are making for strange bedfellows because they want the same thing. McConnell does not want a trial. McConnell kind of wants this kangaroo court paper process where they're just going to blindly acquit the president and move on. But the issue is I think that Donald Trump understands that impeachment is like a wine stain on a white shirt. If you don't get that stain out and run to the bathroom and hit it with the cold water and all that other stuff, that stain is in there forever. And then it turns dingy and brown, but it's there. And then Trump's legacy will not be the economy or multilateral bilateralism. His legacy will be impeachment, and Trump is acutely aware of legacies and perceptions, so he wants a trial. I just for the life of me do not understand how Mitch McConnell will be able to deter prevent Trump from having the trial that Trump wants because at the end of the day whether you're a Trump fan or not it's his job on the line he's the guy getting charged so why shouldn't Trump get what he wants and be able to play it the way he wants to play it. This is really interesting to me. I'm I'm interested to see as we get into 2020 what the dynamic will be between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. I think they're going to eventually come to a head about the Senate trial thing. But we'll stay tuned because it's in the news every day and every week, looping endlessly. Um, Next, we got John Lewis, civil rights icon, and U.S. Democratic Representative John Lewis of Georgia has unfortunately been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, His office announced that on Saturday. Um, Mr. Lewis is 79. And this is the scary part for me as a guy that just turned 50. John Lewis said he was diagnosed following a routine medical visit with subsequent tests to reconfirm the diagnosis. So it sounded to me like John Lewis actually wasn't suffering any ill effects. He wasn't sick, wasn't ailing. He just went in for a routine checkup and then he finds out he's got stage four pancreatic cancer. And that to me is absolutely horrifying. I mean, you do what you can, but I guess you just can't fight nature and things happen how they happen. Lewis is in his 17th term as a member of Congress. He's vowing to continue his work and says that he'll return to Washington in coming days to begin his treatment and to work with the doctors and you know figure out his care plan on how he's going to get better. This is a quote from John Lewis. I have been in some kind of fight for freedom, equality, basic human rights for nearly my entire life. I have never faced a fight quite like the one I have now. John Lewis. We will keep John Lewis and his family in our prayers as he trudges forth in this medical treatment. John Lewis, 79 years old, diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Business. In business. Boeing is suspending 737 MAX production. Okay, let me give you the backstory. So, I dabble in the stock market. It's a holdover from business school. And that's a whole story that I'll tell in another episode. But I've been following Boeing stock for quite some time. And Boeing stock seems to be impervious to any fluctuations in the stock market. Those of you who follow stocks, you understand that that is beta. That measurement is an indicator of how a stock price will fluctuate with changes in the market boeing seems to be impervious to any changes any it's like the stock of all stocks but they had two crashes and i'm sure you saw them on the news um so now that they're in kind of hot water about what they're going to do about these airplanes they had kind of been kicking the can down the road i think hoping that the FAA regulators would clear the aircraft back to fly and they could continue making airplanes, but the FAA said, not so fast, Boeing! We have some issues with this aircraft, and so now after months and months, they're to the point where they gotta suspend production of the aircraft, which is gonna cost them some money. So now we're in the waiting game. Um, The FAA said that Boeing had unrealistic expectations when they thought that the aircraft would be back up in the air soon. Um, And then cutting production is going to inflate Boeing's costs and trigger charges against its financial results as fixed expenses will be spread among fewer planes. So those of you who have been in business or you can Google this, you got fixed costs, and you've got variable costs, and you've got economies of scale. The more planes we make, the cheaper the planes are. So if we have to suspend production, and we've only made a limited number of the planes that we had planned to, those planes just got super expensive, and that's costing us more money. Also, When you suspend production, what happens to the employees? Are they gonna lay them off? Are those guys gonna get furloughed? Are they just gonna pay them while they sit at home? All these things Boeing's gonna have to figure out. Um, But this is a great opportunity for the little guys because watch Boeing stock is BA on the New York Stock Exchange. My personal buy price is $300. Keith Major says, if Boeing stock falls below 300 buy, 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 and buy some more. They're teetering, I think. Last I looked, they're right about $322 or so. We're almost there. But as this plays out, it's going to have an impact on the stock price. So buy low, sell high. Take your money, stay liquid, buy some Boeing stock because Boeing is not going anywhere. They're one of few... Manufacturers that make wide-body aircraft, they're just having a turbulent time right now because um of this. So this whole max 8 thing has cost Boeing 8 billion in corporate losses. Um, and they're currently trading, I think 322. So that's Boeing. Entertainment Lizzo, she seems to be quite popular right now. I actually checked out Lizzo did a video with Southern University's marching band, The Human Jukebox. Did anybody see it? I thought the video was absolutely hot and creative. Um, the name of the song is Good As Hell. It's off her album. Please check this on. You can YouTube it. Check out the, the video. Um, I tip my cap to her and applaud her. For spotlighting a historically black college and university, whatever you think of Miss Lizzo, because there's two camps, um, I, I still tip my cap for her for keeping it uh, homegrown and using Southern University um, in the in the video. Um, so, eight-time Grammy nominee, she performs a song with the Human Jukebox, and then in the video, there's also behind-the-scenes footage. Um, of the musicians and the band and the dancers in the rehearsal. So I thought, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and then I can't figure out the whole Lizzo and the flute thing, but she plays the flute in the video too. Um, and I saw signs when I was leaving Vegas for my birthday. They were putting the signs up. So Lizzo performed at the Cosmopolitan in Vegas for New Year's Eve. So if you went to that show or know anybody that went to that show, please tweet me. Or Comment on the podcast, let me know how Lizzo did. Um, earlier in December, I think it was December 8th, Juice World passed away. He was a rapper, um, he had that song Lucid Dreams. I know Juice World because I saw him um, on a Breakfast Club interview with Charlemagne the God, and I thought it was like he was a really good dude. He had some issues in life, and he was starting to get beyond his issues and now he's passed away um and at his funeral I think was the middle of December um so keep him in your prayers and the coroner hasn't done an autopsy well the autopsy is not complete but I'm just hoping that young man uh, did not succumb to his depression and the drugs and the other issues that he was having More in entertainment, Surviving R. Kelly 2, not one, but two. Surviving R. Kelly, the first one, had such an impact and was so popular that Lifetime is airing a sequel. There's going to be more R. Kelly. Um, the original six-hour docu-series scored more than 26 million viewers uh, and renewed this interest in R. Kelly's sexual misconduct allegations. Um, This one's going to have more families, more victims, more people. Um, R. Kelly has vehemently denied these allegations. He's currently in jail. R. Kelly Part 2, The Reckoning, will feature interviews from a variety of perspectives, including new survivors, supporters, psychologists, cultural and legal experts. Here's my issue, though. Why is it that R. Kelly has become the poster boy for sexual misconduct? And why do people keep piling on the R. Kelly bandwagon? If the issue is sexual misconduct, then where is surviving Matt Lauer, Or surviving Harvey Weinstein? Or surviving Bob Kraft? When is somebody going to make those stories? Because those guys had equally damning sexual misconduct allegations. Matt Lauer had a secret sex room in his office. Did you guys know that? He had a a room in his office and then inside his desk drawer, he had a, a button and if he hit the button, it would lock the door automatically from the inside and if you were in there, you were trapped with Matt Lauer and Matt Lauer could do whatever Matt Lauer wanted to do. If you didn't know that, That's the reason why we need surviving Matt Lowry. I just think they're beating up R. Kelly. um, And they're giving these other guys passes. There's a videotape of whatever Bob Kraft was doing down there in Jupiter, Florida. And now his laurels done finagled some way where they're not going to have the the video in court. And I'm thinking, well, how are you going to have a trial if there's no video? So who knows? But if you're interested... January 2nd at 9pm that's tomorrow you can watch more R. Kelly sports surprise surprise the Patriots got caught cheating again is anybody really surprised you know there comes a point where there's so much smoke you just gotta say there's a fire. so to me Roger Goodell is on the horns of a dilemma Josh Shaw got suspended through next season for betting on football games. And get this, Josh Shaw was injured and on IR and not even playing in the games. He was betting on, but the letter of law says you can't bet on games. He bet on games, so now he's in trouble. But here we are again with accusations of the Patriots filming people before games. And if I understand this correctly... The Patriots' defenses, they had permission from the Cleveland Browns to film the sideline, but they were actually filming the sideline not of the Cleveland Browns, but of who the Cleveland Browns were playing, the Cincinnati Bengals. It just, there's a lot of holes in that story, but Belichick and Kraft and Tom Brady seem to always, you know, beat the Chargers. So we will see um how that plays out and then speaking of tom brady yeah they lost their last game to the dolphins and uh that took them out of their first round bye but i'm seeing all this premature talk about brady's washed up brady's done he's trash i don't i don't get it he even even a brady at 70 percent is still better than a lot of quarterbacks out there that are getting 30 35 million and speaking of 30 to $35 million, here's why the Patriots, in my opinion, should not be in any rush to move on from Tom Brady. Because these new guys who have never won any Super Bowls are getting paid ridiculous money. So if you get rid of Tom Brady, the next guy you get is going to expect you to pay him probably $120 million. That's what new quarterbacks are getting now. So is it is a 70% Tom Brady at hometown discount worse or better than an unproven guy demanding 120 million? They are to me, they ought to stick with Brady, use that extra money, and go get them a wide receiver because maybe Tom Brady would have done better this season. Had they had a receiver. He lit it up. Didn't nobody say anything about his arm strength. The one game that A.B. played. And they tore it up. And then A.B. of course was A.B. And could not play. And so to me the Patriots don't have a number one wide receiver. They don't even have a number two. The Patriots have played 16 games in my opinion. With a collection of number threes. But yet everybody's on this Tom Brady other time deal. I I, I absolutely don't get it. Anybody see the Army-Navy game? The Midshipmen won. Go Navy, 31-7. Malcolm Perry ran wild, and Navy was redeemed. I think they had been uh, looking at three losses in a row, and so they won this one. Um, But nobody's talking about the Navy game. What everybody's talking about is this I don't know white nationalist racism this hand symbol thing if you look at the video you can YouTube it somebody st- it looks like an upside down okay sign they stuck it uh, in the camera on ESPN and not everybody's all up in arms I don't know I I, I don't know personally any white supremacist or white nationalist to ask them if that's officially their hand symbol or their gesture so this could be a hoax a witch hunt, I'm, I'm just not sure, Navy says they're investigating, ain't gonna matter um cause we already know they're not gonna find anything, hence if you have a question about that, go back to the last podcast episode, you know why it's the glass floor somebody's son, wants a career as a Navy pilot or a SEAL or something you're not gonna derail that And then lastly, the Celebration Bowl. That was uh, Alcorn State versus North Carolina A&T. And I thought A&T beat the brakes off of Alcorn. Um, And then there was some discussion in social media about the Celebration Bowl. I just don't think ESPN and the NCAA gives black college football a fair shake. They kind of have this perception that black college football is lesser, but the numbers would indicate that that is not true. Hence, the Celebration Bowl was seen by a record 2.7 million viewers on ABC, as well as they aired it on um, the Armed Forces Network, AFN for you military types. You remember that? 140 countries saw the Celebration Bowl. So let me give you some numbers because I looked this up. Every year, the NCAA publishes an annual report, and these numbers came out of the report. The football bowl subdivision, that's like the Power Five guys, drew 36,707,511 spectators for an average of 41,856 fans per game. The Football Championship Subdivision, that's the like kind of lower level schools that play the tournament, they had an average of 7,853 in attendance. Division two schools average was 2,751. And Division three was 1,705 was their average attendance at a game. Now, let's put that in context. My alma mater... Hampton University, we play at Armstrong Field, and we seat 12,000. So, if we sell out a game, we've already doubled almost the NCAA Football Championship Series average, double. But wait, there's more. Jackson State claimed the FCS attendance title attracted 99,079 fans for an average of 24,770 fans for their four home games in 2018. Morehouse College captured the Division II attendance title and they had 36,111 fans for an average of 12,037 for home games. And so in these numbers, they're just monitoring home games and not, not away games, right? Um, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, the SWAC earned its 40th FCS attendance title in 41 years so out of all the conferences in the FCS the SWAC is the one that has the greatest consistent game to game attendance the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, SIAC there's some schools in that Netted its 16th straight Division II attendance crown. There's a lot of black schools that are SIAC, Averaging 6,252 fans. So long story short, here's the deal. When you look at ESPN's bold programming, their programming does not accurately reflect attendance and viewership. ESPN's bold programming is not matching what the NCAA says is popular. Based on the numbers, here's what people want to see. They want to see Power 5 conferences, then they want to see black college football, and then they'll watch everything else. So why is the Celebration Bowl not getting its just due when the NCAA numbers clearly dictate that's the game that people want to see if they're not watching a Power 5 game So, all that to say this: If ESPN aired the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, yes, that's actually a bowl, at the exact same time as the Celebration Bowl, ain't nobody tuning in to watch Boise State play. Nobody. They're gonna watch Alcorn State play North Carolina A&T. So again, I ask, and I have been asking this in social media. Why did the Celebration Bowl not get the ESPN pregame show? Where was the vignettes of the two schools? Where was Kirk Street? Where's Lee Corso with the mascot heads? Why does the Celebration Bowl not get that? In my opinion, and I'm going to say this and you can quote me on it, the Celebration Bowl should always be played the Saturday between the championship semis and the championship game. That's, this year is January 6th and there's one bowl. I don't even remember who it is. It's some insignificant bowl. But after you play the semis and you figure out who's going to the championship game, I think there's two weeks off. In that two week window, that's when you should play the Celebration Bowl and Kirk Herb Street and ESPN. Needs to pony up and quit playing and give black college football its due. And then you end the college football season with the championship game. That's what Keith Major thinks. So let me know. Hit me on social media. Um, comment on the show. Email me. Whatever. Let's talk about this. I'm all about dialogue, ladies and gentlemen. This is the news. And thank you for listening to the Keith Major Show.
2: Ends, current events and political commentary. You're listening to the Keith Major Show, a podcast recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host,
0: Keith Major.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you're on the Keith Major Show, and we are blessed to have tara Seeley, who's a middle school principal. And today we're going to talk about education and the things that parents and kids need to know so that they can have the best experience in school. So, Tara Seeley, how are you doing today?
2: I'm great. I'm great. How are you?
1: I am doing well. And for the listeners, um, just tell them a little bit about you. Where are you right now? What school are you at? And how did you kind of get started on this road to education?
2: All right, well, I am presently the uh, middle school principal at Linwood Public Charter School. We are located in Shreveport, Louisiana, um, and that's about six hours from New Orleans, so I'm a lot closer to Texas than I am to New Orleans. Um, Our school population is really uh, three schools in one, so it's actually a pre-K through eighth grade but my middle school population is 375 students of six to eight all on one hallway. A um, little bit about myself. I am a Hampton University graduate. Go, Pirates! Go Pirates. Um, I started out as a communicative sciences and disorders major, which eventually led me into education, working at a school, um, working on hearing and speech disorders. And eventually, I just kind of rolled that into working as a special education teacher, getting my certification in that, and deciding that I wanted to um be a principal one day and pretty much set a goal and making it happen and it happened within that time frame. So here I am,
1: so what led you to to want to be a principal like what what was the thing that was your aha moment that said? Okay, I want to be an administrator.
2: So one of one of my aha moments was actually working for an administrator in Atlanta, uh, who was an older lady. Uh, she worked as a principal for about fifteen years, um, and just kind of watching her uh, operate in in terms of um, having knowledge of which way the school needed to move in terms of what curriculum uh, to implement, how she develops other leaders or other teachers, um, looking at how you can have a vision, and if other people buy into that vision, um, how it can really motivate staff, it can motivate the students, and just the overall morale of the school. And so kind of watching that. Um, was something that I wanted to get involved in in a higher scale because as a classroom teacher, you usually only have an opportunity to work with just the kids that are assigned to you. And once you close your door, that's it. But as an administrator, you get to affect change on um, in every classroom, in every building, if you're over several buildings or in your building. So that kind of inspired me.
1: Okay, and so for the listeners that are parents of uh, smaller children, what kind of things should the parents know in order to uh, provide their children the best experience in middle school? I feel like most parents want to help because we want the best for our children. But for parents that don't have uh, experience in education, never worked in education, they don't know how to help. So as a principal, what would you tell those parents that they need to do, can do, should do in order to put their children in the best position?
2: Um, you know, I've been thinking about that question um, for a couple of days, and, and, and I would say there are a few things, but one of the basic and easiest things is just showing up meaning that uh, sometimes there's this uh, thought process of they're in middle school, they're okay, they're no longer in elementary, so I don't have to show up for the conferences. I don't have to show up um, for events that happen at the school. I don't have to show up for some of the social things that kids get involved in, such as track, um, the sports, track, uh, basketball, uh, football, those kind of things. Um, And so parents often stop showing up as much as they did in elementary. So the first thing would be to show up. The second thing is making sure your kids are prepared. Uh, The unfortunate thing of working in environments that are considered underserved communities is that children often lack the ability to read and read well. And so one of the other things that parents can work on and ensure that their children are reading and they are comprehending what they read. And it could start off with just exposing them to things that they like. So if they like comic books or comic strips, start off there. If they like reading actual novels um, like the Harry Potter series, start them there. But whatever you do, make sure they are reading and make sure they are comprehending what they read. So exposing them to literature in different ways. And don't just rely on the school to do it. So do some
1: additional things at home. Um, and, okay, so I know some folks um, that may work, and you got folks that work multiple jobs. Um, there's yeah. all types of, like, different tutoring things. I got some friends that send their kids to Kumon. Um, so what's your, your opinion on those things that people spend money on to help help their kids try to do better in school?
2: You know, I think it comes down to more of a a mindset, to be honest. So like, if you value something, you're going to either spend your money or your time and effort. And so, um, I'm not opposed to those outside organizations that help kids learn, kids learn or help them wherever they struggle. They can actually be quite beneficial. So. You know, if a parent recognizes, hey, my child is just not getting this and they need additional time to get it, um, definitely invest in it. But we do know that people usually value things um, of what they value. They're going to put their time, effort, and or money towards it. So that can be a positive or just making sure that you're doing almost the same, even with the schoolwork whether that is contacting the teacher. Um, A lot of times nowadays, teachers can be reached through email. Uh, Often they can't take a phone call in the middle of the day if they're actually teaching, Um, but they can be reached through email and they can be reached through a phone call by message. They can be reached by you showing up, sending a letter, those kind of things. So also providing that same equal of value, time and effort towards it throughout the normal school day or school year it may prevent you from spending extra money on the side
1: okay so So that's my opinion about it okay so next question Um,
2: (laughs) so let's say
1: I'm a parent and I have a child and I'm in a school district and I have maybe my choice of schools or some kind of way I, I can decide between this school or that school as a parent what kind of things should I look at to to help drive my decision on which school that I pick for my child? So, what 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 are the key things I should be looking for as a parent to help determine one school from the other? Uh,
2: one of the things, or a few key things, when you're trying to decide on a school, I would say. Uh, especially in this day and age where you can have choice, just like you go to purchase a vehicle or a place to live. You're looking at some of the finer components. So as a school, what's unique about this school? Why should I enroll my child here over this school around the corner? Um, What's unique about my child? Are there certain needs that I know my child um, has that this school can meet over um, school B, school choice B? Um, Another thing is really asking questions of the school um, by asking the school, what what do you plan to teach my child? What does my child learn? Um, How can I be knowledgeable about the curriculum you're going to expose my child to? Um, What's the student-teacher ratio? Um, How well-rounded are the programs you offer Honors programs. What do you do outside of academics? Because for middle school, it's also important to have a social component. So, what are some other things that you do to to develop kids socially as well as academically? Um, a parent should also think about: um, Are there set second language options? Uh, how many of your your students here and go to a high school and and become successful after that? So. Those are some questions that parents can ask to try to ensure that their kids are getting the best um, opportunity at educational success.
1: Um, and and were you ever a classroom teacher? I was. Okay, so 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 here's my question for the listeners that may be undergrads or in high school. Um, if they have a desire to maybe be a principal at any level at some point, um, what advice would you give them on, on how on how to get there?
2: So you know, some some main advice is uh, do what you do and do it well.
0: <laughs>
2: so you will find that everyone on a job, no matter where you are, they are there for a specific purpose. So understand like what's your long-term purpose or what's your end game. And then from there, wherever you are, if it's a classroom teacher, a helper, um, a reading specialist, any of that, just do what you do and do it well. Because um, ideally when you do that, it's all about moving children you're kind of taking yourself out of the way and and you're doing something for the greater good of the organization for the, the customer which is the student. and so from that you can um, then decide what's next and oftentimes people will come teaching you because of what you're doing in your classroom so if you're able to improve children in your classrooms and you know companies and and don't uh, people often say education for not being a business is still a business. And so people will often speak to you on how to grow their business. So how do you grow children? Um, and so they'll look at that fundamentally. What do you do with what you're assigned? And then bring other additional responsibilities and opportunities to you. Um, and I say take advantage of them. Continue to learn, read and research uh, outside of school. Read books that deal um, that talk about leadership and that talk about how to communicate with people and how to make decisions um, because those things are going to help you in the long run when you do get in a situation as a leader you have to work with many different personalities you have to know how to negotiate you have to uh, sometimes make decisions that are not favored by other people but if you kind of have a lot of those things in your toolbox either through experience um, reading connecting with other leaders to help guide you on that journey then you'll be successful as well
1: okay and so for the listeners that may already be educators in some capacity what would motivate inspire let's say a teacher to become a principal what what really is the difference in the impact of the two jobs
2: You know, uh, leadership is not for everyone. But in, in terms of leading adults, because I do think on many levels teachers are leaders. So you lead your classroom, you're leading children, you're leading minds. But if you're a person who wants to do it on a broader scale, then I say pursue leadership. If you're a person that enjoys the day-to-day with just working with the children then do that and, and it's okay to do either or and there are some uh, teachers who want to do leadership but maybe not a principal responsibility so there are other things that they can do like instructional coaches so you're working with other teachers to grow them but you still have some impact in the classroom and sometimes in different places you're teaching two class periods and then working with teachers to develop their craft so you know, ultimately, it's just really about identifying what it is that you want. Um, and once you do that, then you're you're either, again, preparing through research or finding a mentor to help, you, help guide you through those steps. Um, you're either taking on more responsibility as a teacher leader, um, and you're just maintaining a certain level of curiosity. Um, I, I think it's just about...
1: What a person prefers. Okay, great insight, uh, Principal Seeley. We're gonna did take. I, did I answer that question? You, you did. We're gonna take a small music break. Okay. And then we're gonna come back, and I'm gonna ask you some more questions. But you absolutely answered that question. Um, you're the duty expert, and your insight is most valuable. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna take a small music break, and then we'll be back
0: with Principal Seeley. You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast, news, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we're back on The Keith Major Show, and we have Principal Tara Seely telling us about education. Um, Principal Seely, thanks for coming in on the show. Um, and I want to ask you for the listeners that are maybe in college right now, what advice would you give them when you think back to your undergraduate days? What advice would you give them um, as they went their way to education and maybe being a principal or a senior ministry? Oh, man. Um, if I
2: think back, that- to to that time period I would say and 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 having a real interest in education I would say definitely understand that education is not for the faint of heart um and and so by that making sure you have developed grit um because often what you hear is that um when you can't do anything else, at least you can teach. Well, teaching has changed nowadays, and so the expectation is higher. The workload is more. Uh, there's more accountability. Um, the teachers have to not only be knowledgeable about doing math, but actually knowledgeable about how to teach it um, and knowledgeable about a specific curriculum um, that may be presented to them to teach from. And so it's no longer when you can't do anything else. I guess I'll just keep you have to really know that that's what you want to do, um, that it is going to require a lot of your time, a lot of your focus. Um, And so you just have to know it's not for the pain of heart and you have to have grit. Okay.
1: and uh,
2: what what is one thing that you and that's the non-textbook answer The
1: non-textbook answer? What is one thing that you think people misunderstand about the profession of education?
2: I think people misunderstand uh, that it's the teacher's fault. Um, I think in our present day society, there's always a lot of finger pointing and wanting to place blame on something or someone um, which removes us from self accountability. And so one of the things I think is, is majorly misunderstood is, oh, the teacher failed me or the teacher failed my child. Um, uh, now don't get me wrong. there are some teachers that are in a classroom that should not be, um, because they either lack, uh, integrity. They, they lack uh, understanding of the lives that they're affecting um, or they just lack understanding of uh, the content. And so they, of course, should not be in a classroom. But there are a lot more teachers that are in the classroom that are there um, to give 110% and that are truly there to make a difference in the child's lives. Um, you know, there's an, another thing that's popular right now and I'm going to say something that might not be very popular but people say oh the the pipeline the prison so schools are preparing kids for prison Um, and so my pushback is always so a teacher spent four years at minimum because most teachers have to have a master's degree in most locations so at minimum they spent four years uh, student loans time and effort to prepare a kid for prison, I don't think that's fair. And so I don't really agree with that statement. Um, And so that to me says there's a lot of misunderstanding. So there's an expectation that people have. There's an expectation that educators have. um, And somewhere in the middle, we have to meet and agree upon what what we're teaching our kids, what's most beneficial to them. Um, what are they great at and on their weaknesses, how to build on them. And so until we do that, I think we're just creating blame. It's the teachers, it's the preparing them for jail opposed to, hey, listen, I made sure that my kids sat down and read an additional 30 minutes or we engaged in conversation about what they learned today at school, opposed to getting them the iPad or the cell phone to scroll and create Instagram pages. Um, and, I'm, and I'm talking about middle school because that's what uh, they do a lot of. And so, once we change that conversation wait, 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 wait. and narrative, wait,
1: wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Kids oh. in middle school have Instagram pages? Absolutely. Okay, uh, okay, wait. I got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So, as a principal, what age is the right age or the appropriate age for kids to get involved on social media? I didn't realize kids that young were into social media. So, what's your take on that?
2: Um, I think the right age is when they have found themselves to be responsible 35 Um, but (laughs) well if it's 35 then that's what it has to be but you know you have some kids (laughs) oh it is 35 okay well i think that might be a little too old but we do have some kids we do have some kids that run businesses Um, from Instagram, and I have a uh, fire co-worker. What what kind of business they run in the middle (laughs) (laughs) school? Well, I have a co-worker, a former co-worker, whose daughter actually is uh, a great artist. So, they run a business called Creative Canvases. And so those are like paint parties and uh, her daughter does a lot of that for other kids. So when kids want to have their birthday parties or different things, so that's the business that she runs. Um, and I don't think that she is, I don't think that she's even 13 just yet. She may be like 12 years old. So and they've been doing it for a couple of years. Now, of course, the, the parents, monitors the things Um, and so that to me is respectable but there are some other kids who maybe are 15 or 16 that are doing things on Instagram that you know um, working as a middle school principal I get to see a lot of those things and I would say that they're not socially responsible and they should not um, have access to social media but ideally they do
1: okay so like this is like totally going down this wormhole, but as a parent <laughs> for, for any parent where am I supposed to figure out social responsibility for a teenager where do, where do I go to to learn that or figure that out is that something that I get from the teacher or the principal where, where do I get that from
2: I think you want to take time to know your child, Um, spending time with your kids, uh, and not allowing uh, the phone to raise your kids or assuming that, oh, they're just on Google researching a project. Oh, they're just on YouTube, you know, uh, knowing what they're clicking on on YouTube, Um, knowing what they're looking up on Google. and once Watch in a while being in contact with the teacher, of course, in case there are issues that arise at school that are relative to that. So ultimately you have to know your child. Okay, you so you have to monitor your child.
1: Okay, so in the age of social media as a parent, um, is it is it okay for me? Like like what what is, uh how do I say it? What is the level of interaction I should have with a teacher? Should I be calling the teacher? Should I be emailing the teacher? Should me and the teacher be Facebook friends, be on Instagram? Like, how does that work?
2: Check on your school policies in your area. Um, I would say if there is a teacher that has the page, if they're private page, um, and, and they wanna be friends, sure, fine. If not, um, I think that's acceptable to because people ultimately also have to have a life to live um, outside of their profession. However, um, I do think educators, uh, in most professions we need to behave ethically, um, and watch what we post, um, because there are other people who are watching us. So it's what they choose.
1: To do. Okay. Um.
2: And then switching gears because there are some districts that do have policies around it. Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. So, so switching gears, sliding. Sorry, go
2: ahead.
1: Um. <laughs> you're you're a principal. You're a black female. Um. And I think that matters because I'm all about you know people in leadership kind of being. A representative of, of the, the community that they serve um mm-hmm. is there are there any challenges that you face and had to overcome in education because you're a black female
0: um you know i
2: think that um Uh, I was speaking about this with a a coworker the other day. I think that there is an assumption maybe that you don't face too many challenges since uh, there are a lot of females in education. But I think uh, one of the, the most interesting challenge, I think, is just being confident that you're education. And so, and and being confident in your knowledge Um, so I would say one of the bigger challenges is more of a self challenge because depending on where you are you may not see a lot of people that look like you Um, you may see more male administrators sometimes people feel like oh he was a gym teacher so they promoted him a little bit quicker um, which you do often see Unfortunately, that there are a lot of a high rate of males who are coaches or um, PE teachers that now they're principals. But that's not to say that they're not knowledgeable, but from the outside looking in, may feel that way. And you say, well, I'm a female, I've worked hard, I've done this, this, and this. How come I didn't get that promotion? And so sometimes there are some back conversations about that, but I think ultimately it's being okay with who you are, your knowledge, and what you bring to the table. So overcoming that first challenge would be a self one. And then the second one is um, working with other females that have strong personalities. So those are the two challenges that I see.
1: Okay, Uh, Principal Silly, again, thanks for your insight. We're going to take another small music break, and then we're going to come back and ask you some more questions about education. We're happy to have you on the Keith Major Show. Ladies and gentlemen, we got some tunes coming up, and then once we're done, we'll be back to Principal Series. You're on the Keith Major Show.
0: You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast. News, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. Recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. Ladies okay, and gentlemen, okay.
1: we're uh, back on the Keith Major show. We got Principal Tara Seely telling us about education. Thank you for being on the show, Principal Seely. Um, next question is. Oh mm-hmm. uh, no worries! It's a pleasure. Um, if you could turn back the hands of time to your eighteen-year-old self, what would you tell yourself?
2: Personally, or just how it relates to the profession? Both. <laughs> uh, personally, I I would tell myself. Save your money and invest in real estate in different areas. Save your money and invest in real estate so that uh, when you uh, get to the ripe old age of 55, um, you can retire and kind of live and travel a little bit more and help other people out. So that would be what I would tell my personal self. Um, My professional self, um, I would tell myself that every... For every job or experience that you have professionally, there's something that uh, you should learn from it, um, take the good from it, and use that to make yourself better at the next job or if you decide to be an entrepreneur, um, how you deal with people. And, and really think about what what can you bring to this world to change or make it better? And not so much I want to get this job because it's going to pay me 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100,000, right? Because jobs, will, I mean, salary and money is a motivator, but more so, what what can I do to actually make it better, make this place better, make children better, um, improve people's lives? Because from that, you'll, you'll be enriched. That's
1: what I would tell my 18-year-old self. Okay, and then that ties into my next question. If you had $100 million to spend on anything you could spend it on, how would you spend it? Oh,
2: well, the first thing is always uh, to buy my mom a house and whatever car she wants. And that would be the first thing I would do. Um... The second thing is I definitely would be some sort of organization uh, that works, that would work for children in terms of um, reading and then giving them exposure to maybe those things that they read. Um, And so the example would be when I was younger, I remember reading a book and it talks about the... The Hills of Umbria, which is located somewhere in Italy. And so how cool would it be for kids to kind of read that? And then the next thing you know, they're on a flight to Italy to see um, kind of what they read um, in real life. And so the, the great thing about reading, you can imagine it to be what it, whatever you want it to be based on the words on the page. But then exposing them to that in real life, they'll be able to connect uh, and experience things that they couldn't even imagine. So that would be uh, the two top things I would do. And then beyond that, I would just travel. I would. I would just travel.
1: Where was where, where your first trip be?
2: My first trip, I would like to go... Africa um, I did a DNA test and so I would like to go to uh, Somalia and those areas just to kind of see um, where the DNA says I'm from and so that would be my first trip now after that I would just talk from continent to continent to continent
1: Okay, um, sometimes when you do these interviews, people get intimidated because you've got a lot of accomplishments and you've done a whole lot and people feel like, man, I'll never do that. Um, and then people sometimes tend to forget that even you are just a regular person and you do regular things. So what is it that you are not particularly good at?
2: I'm not always the best at time management. So my example would be, as long as I'm going to work for the most part, somehow in my mind, I have trained myself to get to work on time. But when I'm not at work, if I have to do, I don't know, a dinner, a movie, an event, I'm either rushing. Or I'm getting there late. No matter how many times I tell myself to be ready, so. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, That's not so, a trick. Wait a minute,
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> so if if we go out on a date, you telling me you already gonna be late because you're not good at time management? There's gonna be a high chance I'm gonna be late. Wow.
2: Yeah, at least ten minutes.
1: Wow. Okay, <laughs> um, for, for the listeners that may want additional inf- information or has specific questions. Where can they reach you? You on social media? You got you on Twitter, Instagram. Um, like, how how can they get at you?
2: Um. Well, as it deals with professionally, uh, they can always go to www.linwoodpubliccharterschool.org, um, And from there, they can select middle school and find my information there. Um, I do have my own website that I'm currently updating, but that is T-C-E-A-L-Y.com.
1: Okay, I'll be sure to promote your website um, on my podcast show like that's outstanding so I'll All be right. sure to pass on any questions or any information and I'll definitely link you up okay. um, with anyone that has additional questions or requests for additional information um, and before we close All is, right. is, is there uh, anything that you would like to say to the listeners before we go
2: um, no, thanks for having me. Um, just make sure that, um, when we're talking about education, it's not just the school's responsibility, it's all of our responsibilities to educate our children, um, and move them forward and make sure they're prepared, prepared for school, prepared for life.
1: Outstanding. Excellent. And, uh, ma'am, you went to school where? Let me ask, let me reiterate that. where did you do
2: your undergraduate work? Oh, at the one and only elite institution of Hampton University, my home by the sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: what I thought. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure. That's what I thought. But I just wanted to make sure. Principal Sealy, I appreciate you calling in. Thanks. I'm glad you uh, thought enough to participate. And I will definitely pass on to any listeners your contact information so that they can ask additional information, um, questions about education, and how we can make school a better opportunity and better environment for our kids. I wish you the best of luck. I'm praying for you. Um, I hope you make it to the school board and superintendent. And even run for mayor. Yes,
2: day. thank you.
1: Um, thank so, you, I
2: appreciate that. And I'm sorry. You could also reach me on Twitter at Tara Sealy.
1: Tara Sealy. Okay, at Tara Sealy.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Okay. I'll I make... think it's
2: at Sealy Tara.
1: <laughs> what do you mean? You think? I don't use it enough. No, you I don't gotta, use it enough. You gotta use it more. You gotta get your message and your narrative out there. We got to tell uh, the end of a story depends on the storyteller and I'm a big proponent that black people got to do better. We have to be better at telling our own narrative um, and getting our things out there. So I'm hoping whoever listens to this show will appreciate you and the work that you do to educate little women. Um I really do.
2: Thank
1: you. Thank you for this opportunity. Tara Seelye! She's in Shreveport, Louisiana. Please look her up on her social media. And ladies and gentlemen, you are here on the Keith Major Show, a podcast. I love y'all. And I'm gone.
0: The Keith Major Show. All the people know. Straight from Hawaii You're all you need for sure From news and local events Music and much more But the Keith Keith Major Major Show We give you so much more Keith Keith Major Major Show
2: Keith Major Show Keith Major Show
0: Keith Major Show